0: Hey there, fellow fabricators, stone shop owners from across the Fruited Plain and beyond. This is the Fab Lab Podcast, and I'm your host, Aaron Crowley, tuning in with you for another episode, episode 161, five reasons why a side hustle makes sense. Now, if you've listened to the last few episodes, but on a little bit of a thematic journey, the theme, the topic has been, you know, what makes a stone fab business so hard, how to make it a little bit less hard, and now we're kind of on this sub-theme of a side hustle, the last episode last episode episode i shared three side hustles that became standalone businesses while running my countertop shop and how those contributed massively to just reducing stress creating more opportunities adding significant income which reduced my reliance on the countertop shop in terms of my own just personal you know Stone shop owners got to make a living too. So in this episode, I'm going to get into more specifics, five reasons why that makes sense. Again, not arguing, not suggesting, not telling anybody, not advising anybody that they should or that they must, or that a side hustle is the only way to make the stone business less hard or easier, but there are some compelling reasons why this makes sense and why I think it's at least worthy of consideration. Not that you don't already have enough on your plate, I get that, but when you listen to these five reasons you may be thinking oh well maybe perhaps i will entertain that perhaps i will look into that a little bit deeper and so if you listen to the last episode you know i talked about it's it's not necessarily the motivation hey let's go start another company it's What problems have you already solved in your business? What problems can you solve? What problems in the stone fabrication business that just exist that make running a stone shop so hard by solving those problems? Number one, it makes your own business less hard. But the opportunity then is to share that solution with other fabricators, which makes their business less hard. And when their business gets less hard or easier, perhaps they're willing to pay you for the privilege, pay you for that solution, and then... The compounding effect of that is that running your stone shop gets even less less hard, so that 's kind of the idea, folks. I want to just share some concepts and some ideas here that will uh, that will assist you in the same way that they 've hated me. I look ba- hated aided me over the last fifteen twenty years just um, i'm so thankful there's so much gratitude when I look back and realize what those separate those side hustles those separate standalone businesses contributed in terms of just professional success in terms of income in terms of being able to support the countertop shop, there were seasons where those other businesses actually lent money to the countertop shop and seasons where the cash flow was really tight, big receivables, low sales, just the the confluence of events created some difficulties in the countertop shop and those other businesses were able to kind of step in and and, um, act as a bank, if you will. And so just huge opportunity. Now, before we get into that, I normally mention a word from our sponsor, which is typically two of the side hustles that I started while running my countertop shop, and now we're standalone businesses that I run. But today, as I mentioned in the last episode, I'm, I want to ask you, fellow fabricator, audience of the Fab Lab podcast, if you would consider making a donation to an orphanage down in Baja, California. I have been going down to this orphanage. It's called Rancho Santa Marta in Baja, California. It's three, four, I don't know, five hours south of Tijuana. It is the Baja Peninsula's very first special needs orphanage. Back in the 70s, a couple from Southern California felt this call, this yearning, this desire. Um, There was a need, and they went down into uh, basically the kind of the deserts of the Baja Peninsula and founded Rancho Santa Marta, which was the first orphanage that specialized in serving Um, mentally and physically disabled children, orphans that had been abandoned, that had no other, basically resources or no other options, no other hope. And so it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful organization. I've been going down for the last four, five, six years. And this year, in about three weeks, March seventeenth through the twenty fourth, I'm leading a group of forty four people down to that orphanage to spend a week down there serving, building, doing construction, and um, just kind of kind of getting the focus off of myself and 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 all the needs that I think I have, and um, kind of coming face to face with the fact that other people have needs too. And so, what I'm asking, fellow fabricator, stone shop owners, that uh, if you if you appreciate what I do here on the Fab Lab podcast, I want to ask you to go to the Link in the show notes for this podcast and make a donation. These trips that I have been on and this trip that I'm leading, all the construction projects that we do down there are funded by the people going down. And so... Um, We're raising money to do construction. I'm not sure what we're going to be doing, but my guess is, based on past experience, it will have to do with mixing concrete. (laughs) We'll We'll be mixing gravel, sand, and cement and pouring a lot of concrete. That's just what we seem to do down there. And so your donations will fund that work at this orphanage, Rancho Santa Marta, in San Vicente, Mexico. It is a wonderful, wonderful group. The link to the website for the orphanage is going to be in the show notes, as is the donation link. And so I'm just asking you, it's obviously completely confidential. Fellow fabricator, would you consider going and making a donation? It's completely private. It's completely confidential. I will not know whether you have or have not, um, but I am asking you to consider that because it's such it's such great work. And I'll report back after the fact uh, when I get back from that trip here in a few weeks, three, four weeks. So anyway, link is in the show notes. This week, this episode, the sponsor of the Fab Lab Podcast, actually the, the Fab Lab Podcast is sponsoring Rancho Santa Marta and those wonderful kids down there at that orphanage. And so with that, let's get into this topic: why a side hustle makes sense. Five reasons why. Now I mentioned in the last episode um, that I would I would begin this, this episode with the list of fabricators who actually had Solutions that they created in their stone shops that became side hustles and in every case became standalone businesses, in some cases became standalone businesses. Here are a few. Chris Jorgensen, fabricator out of Washington, developed, invented the seam phantom. That thing is insane. I wish I'd had that when I first started my stone shop when I was cutting slabs with the skill saw. Would have been really nice to have that machine. Andrew Just, he's a fabricator out of the Midwest who created the cooktop bags for catching all that slurry and dust when you're cutting a cooktop in place. Barry Brandt, he, he has invented more products for the stone industry than anybody I know. I Couldn't even probably list them all, but a couple. The sink savers, the aluminum bars with the suction cups. He was the first person to develop that technology to keep sink countertops from breaking. The grabbers, those little lever machines that have two handles on them and the rubber pads that you can grab the end of the countertops, he invented those as well, as well as a bunch of other products. Eric Rolseth, the fabricator out of Minnesota, I think I he may have been the very, very, very first guy I ever interviewed on the Fab Lab podcast like five years ago. He invented the filler chip and... The counter, well, we call it counter handler, but the panel handler, that, uh, Grabo suction cup with the aluminum rails and the bars that allow you to get porcelain panels in without breaking. We use them at no lift. We, we sell a package called the counter handler. It's a genius, absolutely brilliant, awesome sink saver. Kevin Pridemore is a fabricator who invented the Sink It sink clips with the little hole. It's got a bolt and a little Z clip that allows you to install undermount sinks with, with you just very efficiently and very low cost. Jeffrey Grant, another guest on the Fab Lab podcast, he created, um, He's a. Fab- he owns the Countertop Factory out of Chicago and Tucson. I think he's been fabricator of the year about, I don't know, a few times. He's invented a product called Hot Sauce, which is a means of selling up sales, as well as Speed Label, which is a product for labeling countertops after they've been cut in a high volume manufacturing plant. Jeffrey Grant and... um Steve Mast, so all fabricators that have all, in the interest of solving problems in their own stone shops, developed solutions, developed products that became side hustles and in many cases standalone businesses. So fellow fabricator, there's more room. I'd love to, in a year from now, list your names as fabricators who solve problems in their own businesses and then turn around and made those solutions available to the rest of the industry. This episode is to give you five reasons why that makes sense from my perspective. Now, just real quick, I've talked about the fact that these become standalone businesses, but that does not have to be the goal. A side hustle can absolutely be run out of your countertop operation. It doesn't have to be a separate business with a separate space and separate books, although it may grow into that, which was the case with my three side hustles. They all grew to the point where it's like, shoot, these are generating enough revenue and enough profit where it's it's sort of confusing it made it difficult to run the countertop shop because we couldn't differentiate where our income was and we couldn't manage the business as effectively so we had to separate them in the interest of maintaining you know you know good management and good books but you don't have to do that you can run these side hustles out of your countertop operation and it just generates extra income so don't don't be afraid don't don't be um, dissuaded by the prospect of starting another company, you absolutely don't have to. That was the case with Fabricator's friend, my sleeve and apron uh, jacket business, which is now going to be having some uh, some floor mats that are ingenious. In fact, just a little a little aside, we had to figure out a technology. We invented these. We got these mats, and then lo and behold, you, every stone shop has water on the floor. Never crossed my mind. This foam mat, well, this foam is closed cell foam, so we put the mat down on the floor, and they floated. Even on like a, a 64th of an inch of water on the floor, basically if the floor was damp. Literally that closed cell foam would float and it was, it was dangerous. It was like being on a skim board. It was like being on ice. And so we had to come up with a technology that would force that mat to sink to the concrete, basically in the water so that it wasn't a danger. But we solved that problem and now those mats are just about to be ready. But when I started Fabricator's Fen, Friend, I ran that out of the countertop business for years until it reached a sales point where it's like, yeah, we got to separate this. So it can be done. And then it just generated extra revenue. It was just like bonus money, mailbox money coming in that we didn't have to work nearly as hard to generate. The same thing was true for Nola. It was kind of funny. My countertop shop was the laboratory. That was where we tested it. But Fabricator's friend actually was the was the bank, if you will. So my side hustle funded another side hustle within the countertop shop, the countertop shop being the place where we were able to test all the ideas and refine the finished product. So a side hustle can generate a bunch of income for you within your countertop shop. And when you got extra income coming in, just let me ask you a question. What if you had an extra thousand, extra two thousand, extra $3,000 a month coming into your countertop shop with very little effort, time, energy, required to generate that. That's one of the interesting things about different business models, which I'm going to get into in the next episode. The best side hustle in the world, the most genius business model in the next episode. I've actually thought, even though I mentioned I was going to share this, I thought what I'm going to share in that episode is of such extraordinary value. Maybe I should do a course on it and charge for it because literally, folks, I'm telling you what I'm going to share in the next episode episode 162, the best side hustle in the world is going to blow your mind. And it's going to be worth, it it, it would be worth a thousand dollars for the course. If I was to do such a thing, I'm going to share it with you. That's the level of uh, just how invaluable that information is going to be. But you can run a side hustle out of your business that generates income with very, very little work compared to what is necessary to generate income and, and dollars making countertops. And so, um, like I said earlier, I, I don't ever tell anybody what to do. Uh, it, it may sound like it. I get so excited about this because I have seen firsthand the massively positive impact these side hustles had on my countertop shop and on my life overall, my life outside the business. Because it wasn't just generating income inside the company. Eventually, it became a way of generating income to me personally outside the stone shop. Which is just wow. What if you could generate that one, two, three thousand dollars a month in extra income that was going into your pocket? I mean. That would be amazing. And that's really the first, I guess, reason why a side hustle makes sense. It is the extra cash. So let's just jump into this list of five reasons. Extra cash. Let's talk about cash coming into your countertop shop. What if you had an extra thousand dollars a month that was almost predictable, it was almost guaranteed, two, three, four thousand dollars of extra income that was just rolling in. I can remember one time. I don't remember the exact season but I we had a CNC we had, we had a, a set of CNC bits a particular profile and I remember our production manager came in he's like man we got to order another set and the set was like 3500 or 4000 bucks and it was just like the timing was not great to drop you know 3 or 4000 bucks but my other side hustle my other business Fabricator's friend was flush and it was like okay you know cash was a little tight in the countertop company we basically loaned The money, we bought the bits. My countertop shop, you know, a month or two later paid that back. It was just so massive to have that access to that cash. And when you've got a side hustle generating that extra income, it contributes to the success and it actually will reduce the stress inside the countertop shop. What about outside? Like I just mentioned, if you had some extra income, what if you could generate an extra one or two or three thousand dollars a month? In extra income into your pocket that you didn't have to take out of the countertop shop. You could leave that money in there for paying employees, paying bills, keeping the operation running, investing it in the company, more equipment, you know, more sales, growing the business, growing the enterprise. Being able to reduce your reliance on the countertop shop leaves those resources in the business and just makes it better. So that's number one extra cash, extra money in your pocket, extra money in the business that you don't have to work nearly as hard for. Now, I keep having to resist the temptation to go into the best side hustle in the world because I'm telling you, there are different types of businesses and and if you've only been in the countertop business like I was, where it's like I didn't know anything else, all I knew was this really, really, really difficult business and this really, really difficult industry, this really, really difficult business model, When I started doing other business types, it was like, oh, not necessarily that the total dollars reached the level of dollars that we generated in the countertop shop because we made good money. I mean, we made a lot of money in that thing. But what was required in terms of having a 12,000-square-foot shop and a half million dollars in equipment and 20 employees that I had to manage and two or three million dollars in sales that I had to generate every year to generate that income, when you looked at the income, Per, see, I'm, I'm going down this path already, but I'll, I'll finish the thought. When you consider how much resource is devoted to generating a dollar of income in a countertop shop, the lease, the equipment, the sales, the management of the staff, the payroll, the risk to generate you know, a dollar of income, there are other business model types that require a very small fraction of of that kind of effort, energy, time, resource to generate a dollar of income. There are different types of business models that contribute. So that's where you gain. That's where you get this multiplication effect where you can, you can spin off another income source that d- generates maybe 5%, 10%, 15%, 20% of what your countertop shop generates, but it takes you one one hundredth of the amount of time, effort, and energy to generate it. So that's so if you could generate that income without the same level of investment and time, that's where you gain, and that's why it's so exciting, and that's why you should tune in for the next episode. But I digress. Reason number two, number one is extra cash. Reason number two is it broadens our business expertise. Again, I was a fab, I went to work in a fab shop at age seventeen. I, I hadn't had the luxury of working in other industries. All I knew was making countertops. You know, from the, the shop floor up. And I didn't realize that there are other facets, you know, other aspects of industry, other aspects of business are very different, very diverse. And when you start a side hustle, when you're now moving out of basically manufacturing a countertop for a contractor or a homeowner, buying slabs from a supplier, buying tooling from a supplier, it's a very narrow niche industry, very limited in terms of how broad your network is. And it's very, you know, regional, it's very focused on where you're at, because you can only drive afford to drive so far to put those countertops in in most cases. So you've got kind of a, a limited window, a limited view of the industry. Well, when you start selling a product or a solution to the industry, it is a completely different business model. So it requires a completely different understanding of the different facets of business. So where you're like in regional uh, what I called a couple of episodes ago, compound custom manufacturing, you can get into distribution where it's a completely different business model. You're not making anything; you're simply um, basically buying something and then either, in some cases, repackaging it or just finding new, you know, customers for that, and, and you're just you're you're. You're just directing those sales. So distribution makes that solution available to a broad spectrum of customers. Whereas, you know, if you're doing retail countertop work, you might have two or 300 customers that are new every year. Well, if you're in distribution, you may have five resellers of your product, and they're the only five customers you have. And then they turn around and sell it to the rest of the industry. So that distribution model is completely different. It's an entirely different world. And so being exposed to that broadens your professional repertoire. Your business expertise and your business experience expands when you start a side hustle and you begin working and operating in different facets of the industry. You get into different types of manufacturing. Same thing, countertop manufacturing is compound custom manufacturing. Well, you get into manufacturing, let's just say it's a single product, it's some widget, and we're actually about to we're about to launch a new product. It's unbelievable as it relates to reducing dust on saw blades and it's just a little tiny machined part once we develop that guess what we'll make the same part over and over it goes into the mill no changes no modifications no custom no you know no options for the customer to modify it or change the overhang or the edge detail or you know anything once you get into that kind of manufacturing, it is an entirely different world, and that's why there is so. It it, it changes the dynamic so tremendously, is that you're not having to recreate the wheel every time you figure out the solution. It's like creating a course digitally. Once you create it, now you're just selling that over and over and over again, as opposed to having to recreate the course every time you find a new customer. Well, you get into different types of the industry broadens your business expertise. You get into different types of manufacturing and you realize manufacturing is a massive, massive sub-industry, if you will. And so you just just get exposed and it broadens your business background and, and it actually puts you into a completely different network of other professionals, which opens up yet even more opportunities for you to expand your business down the road. And so that's number two, it broadens your business expertise and experience. Now, number three, I was just starting to get into this. Number three, the third reason why is that it expands your professional network. I just started to touch on this. Like I said, in the countertop manufacturing business, it's very regional, it's very specific to wherever city or metro area that you're working in. Well, when you get into broad, large scale distribution of a product across an entire industry, or in some cases, across the world, We've now got contacts in Europe. we've got contacts in London. We've got a distributor for the No Lift in Canada, in London, and I think in Australia now. And so not only are we just working you know nationally, you know coast to coast, we're now working internationally. and that has to I mean talk about expanding your professional network. Oh my gosh, the reach that you have in terms of being exposed to other professionals in and out of the industry, which exposes you to many other opportunities, it's just amazing. And so you move beyond just your own employees, your own suppliers, and your own customers in the region that you're fabricating, and now you've branched out definitely from a national standpoint and very possibly an international standpoint. And so when you've got those kind of business contacts, when you start doing business, when you have a distributor on the East Coast, that's doing a couple hundred million a year in whatever it is they sell. And all of a sudden, you're having conversations with the buyers, the executives in that company, building relationships. You see them at trade shows. You have conversation. It, it, um, it sets the stage for future and larger opportunities. So that's number three. It expands your professional network, gets you out of the region, out of the territory, out of the metro area that you're sort of focused on, broadens your horizons. Now, number four. Don't take this the wrong way, Um, but I got to say it. Number four, you become a broker instead of being brokered and broke. Now, I don't know, 100 episodes ago, I did an episode on just some of the risks of what I call the broker model or the broken model. When you are the supplier for a flooring store or a third party who is simply selling the countertop, but you have to manufacture it, um, you're on the the, the back end. You, you, you're kind of left with whatever is left over between the cost of the material and what that broker pays you for the privilege of fabricating those countertops, taking on all the risk, having all the equipment and doing all the you know, having all the expertise necessary to deliver it. You get to reverse that scenario. When you start a side hustle, when you've created a solution very often, you're not, manufacturing the product that's what i have discovered because some of these technologies like i didn't know how to make the product so i had to go find somebody in a related industry like the dry suit industry i did if i had had to figure out how to create a rubber wrist seal that would that would snugly and 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 comfortably but still um completely waterproof seal around a wrist, there would be no stone sleeve there would be no product there would have been no business fabricator's friend but Somebody else had already solved that problem. All I did was transfer that technology to a different application. And so for you, fellow fabricator, you get to move out of being the one who has to assume all of the risk in manufacturing the product, and you get to become the broker. Now, this is very interesting. About five, seven, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I was at an event, and I heard the, uh, his name is Steve Rydell. He, if you've heard of blinds.com, Very, 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 very small little company in the early 2000s that uh, was selling blinds over the Internet. Kind of an interesting concept. And this gentleman, Steve Rydell, he'd been a sales guru, came to work for them. They went from like 17 to 70 or 80 million in sales over the course of like five years because of this guy's sales training and how they they basically modified the way that they sold blinds.com. Anyway, I heard him speak and I went up after at a conference and I went up and introduced myself afterwards. I was like, wow, hey, I've got this little side business. And at the time, we were at this point where I was considering bringing in the manufacturing of our sleeves and aprons. And I mentioned that to him and he went, oh, no, 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 um, sir, sir, sir. That is, the last, that is literally the absolute last thing you want to do. Do you think blinds.com makes the blinds? He's like, not only do we not make them, we don't even touch them. All we do is connect the customer with the manufacturer. And for the privilege, we make the most margin and we have the least amount of exposure, the least amount of risk, and the least amount of work because we don't have to make it. Guess what? They built that thing wrong. We're not the ones remaking the blind. We call the manufacturer and say, you made the blind wrong. Send them another one. Make it right. And I, I could still, to this day, I can see it in my mind's eye where I was standing in this doorway talking to him when he's telling me this. He's like, don't buy the sewing machine. Don't buy the, you know, the cutter. Don't think you're going to make these things yourself. You focus on sales. Let the manufacturer make the product for you. And I took his advice, and I got to tell you, we actually, as a result of that, at the time, we were bringing in the sleeves and the aprons in mass quantities, and then we were reboxing them all. We were repackaging them and then shipping them out. As a result of that, when he said that Blinds.com didn't even touch the product, the manufacturer shipped it directly to the customer, and Blinds.com picks up the majority of a margin just for selling it, it's like, hmm. So we did a very similar thing. Right now, Fabricator's Friend does not ever touch the product. We've got the large distributors, the Grand Quartzes, the Braxton Braggs, the Direct Stone Tools all the, the every, anybody in the industry selling our products our manufacturers drop ship the product directly to the distributor they turn around and ship it to fabricators and we do a little bit of direct sales on the website just because we can and it's, it's not very high volume but when i step back from that and look and go wow i in, instead of instead of taking that upon myself to manufacture those myself which i would have then had all the same challenges that I have making countertops, I would have had to have the space, I would have had to have bought the equipment, I would have had to hire the employees, and then I would have had to deal with the defects, the mistakes. I mean, those happen. So right now, as a broker, see, I'm just simply brokering the manufacturing of that product line that I developed. I went and found two manufacturers. I said, well, you make this. Tell me what the price is. They tell me what the price is. I turn around. I put an appropriate markup on it to the distributor. The distributor puts an appropriate markup on it and sells it you know, to the end user. And so when you get into that kind of business model, it's absolutely insane because again, the number of dollars that can be generated without the work, the effort, the energy, the time, the resources, it is incredible. So you can become a broker now instead of being brokered where you're the manufacturer and you got to take care of all the mistakes. You're making the least amount of money. The broker's making all the money and has none of the risk, but they've got the customer. So When you can do that in your side hustle, it is a massive, massive benefit to you. So that's one of the things that you can just keep in mind from a broker standpoint. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that, oh, I've got this solution. Now I've got to figure out how to manufacture it. You may not. In fact, you may not even be able to solve the problem. Somebody else may have already solved the problem. You just need to go reallocate it, reapply it to the problem in your shop which then in turn allows you to package it repackage it and make it available to the rest of the shops in the industry so you just are you're a middleman it's a genius it's a brilliant it's an amazing place to be when you're so used to being brokered to become the broker and all you're doing is connecting the dots hey someone's already figured this out i'm going to redirect it i'm going to maybe tweak it a little bit i'm going to maybe repackage it a little bit but i'm going to then connect that guy who had no idea that the stone industry even existed i'm going to leverage his Wrist seal technology, and now his sales are up. He's happy because he's selling more product. Wow, I'm happy because I'm selling product, and I'm I'm basically taking the margin for the privilege of developing and designing it, and then connecting it to the customer base. And so that's that's just it's it's incredible. So that's number four. You get to become the broker instead of being brokered as a countertop manufacturer. I'll mention one more thing. No lift install system. We discovered we were, you know, we, we knew that the product worked, but when you came against a step, it was like, man, it, it doesn't work. You might as well, if you're going to pick the countertops up and pick the cart up, you might as well just carry the counter all the way into the house. And then we stumbled across the roller ramp. And the roller ramp is a product that we sell with the cart. About 70% of the carts contain this aluminum ramp that rolls up. It weighs 55 pounds. It's amazing. It's got a thousand pound capacity. So if you've got one to four steps, roll that thing out. You don't have to lift. You can just roll your countertops into the house. It makes your job site, you probably save about an hour per job site rolling your counters and your tools in and out as opposed to up and down the steps. It's just amazing. Well, we it had it been upon us to invent that. I didn't know that kind of thing existed one day. I just prayed like, oh, I need, we need a solution for these stairs. Boom, this idea comes into my mind. Adjustable ramp. I'm like, adjustable ramp. Interesting. I Google that. Up pops roller ramp. This company out of Fargo, North Dakota. I was like, i would never seen anything like that. Well, Roller Ramp, this product line, Google it, go to nolift.com, noliftsystem.com. You can see it on our website. They had developed this product. It was a very lightweight, temporary ramp system for people who were basically aging in place, people that were in wheelchairs, maybe temporarily, and didn't want to build like a, a permanent ramp to get into their house, or people that were just aging and didn't have the money to to have a contractor come out and build a ramp. Well, these these aluminum ramps that rolled up were very inexpensive. And so that, that manufactured product, genius product, had been developed for mobility, people in scooters and people on wheelchairs. All we did was say, Can you ship us one of those? Oh my gosh, it was revolutionary. It transformed no lift and it transformed installing for our entire industry, folks, literally. No lift is now the third largest customer for that product. They didn't even know the stone industry existed. They were selling ramps to grandma on her wheelchair or scooter. Next thing you know, an entirely new industry opens up to them. They're happy because they're selling more ramps. We're happy because we got a solution that we can now offer to our customers that makes their life easier, a la getting countertops into the work area without wear and tear on the installer. So fellow fabricator, that's the point. Don't have to think about inventing the problem. You don't have to think about necessarily building the solution to the problem. It may already be solved. Somebody else may already have figured it out and it's being used in another industry for another purpose. You just maybe be able to adapt it to the countertop industry. Genius. It's amazing. Become a broker instead of being brokered and broke. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Okay, that was number four. Number five. Now, this is fun, but it's legit from my perspective. Number five, the opportunity to work with your family. Now, for some of you, that may be like, oh, last thing I want to do. Okay, I get that. Well, you can run your, you know, your side hustle out of your countertop shop all day long. But let me just back up a little bit. In 2007, I read this book called The Natural Family, and it just stirred something in me very, very deep. And it was basically a historical view of basically 6,000 years of recorded history up to the Industrial Revolution, all of human history, This dynamic had been in place. You had families that basically ran what they called the family enterprise. Most of it was agricultural, but not all of it. A lot of trades. But all through recorded history up until the Industrial Revolution where people came out of the farms or off the farm and out of the rural areas and into the city, and they left their families to go do that, you had families, and not just families, but you had generations that worked together in the family enterprise. And I don't know what it was about that, folks. That just affected me at a very very deep level, and it, it kind of planted this seed that just slowly grew over like the you know, like five six seven years, and so it, basically that just that that thought never I could never get that out of my head like this idea of working with my family, and so this desire began to just grow. I'd love to be able to do that with my family. So, Fabricators' friends before we started No Lift. I told you here just a few minutes ago that I used to bring the product in in quantity and then we would repackage it. Well, I, uh, I've got pictures of my kids at the dining room table with these like frowns on their face because we used to do that as a family. It wasn't because I couldn't hire somebody to do it. It was because I had this desire to sort of replicate and return to that idea when families you know, grandparents and children and grandkids all Either work the family farm or work the family business—that just so appealed to me. My kids were less enthusiastic about it, but it allowed me—and I'm going to tell you a little bit more to the story. It's going to expand a little bit. That—that's really the 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 nexus or the 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 beginnings of this idea of this desire to work with my family. We're in the countertop manufacturing business. It's just not safe. I mean, my. Kids used to come and visit every now and then, and if we weren't doing things, I can remember my, kids, my boys going out and running the crane up and down, you know, like going three or four feet off the ground with the, the crane and, and playing around, but not when we were out there moving slabs and manufacturing countertops. It just wasn't a safe place to be in the office. You know, it's kind of a professional setting. You don't want kids running around when you're trying to sell an expensive countertop. So it just wasn't the most conducive environment to have, you know, be your kids running around. Well, a side hustle it's different. So, if you the thought of having you know, being able to involve your family is 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 of any appeal to you, or maybe this is just going to plant a seed that will allow it to kind of kind of grow over time. But a, a side hustle, when you're brokering a product, or maybe you're turning around and reselling something that somebody else is building for you, it's a completely different a completely different situation. And here's what I I'm excited to share this week. It was Monday or Tuesday of this week. My wife and I were in the bedroom. I now work from home. I currently record this podcast up in the Fab Lab podcast studio, also known as my home office, another dream that I had for many, many years. We were downstairs, and uh, we happened to be in the bedroom, just kind of passing through the bathroom. And uh, we we were chatting just momentarily. And then my daughter, one of my daughters, I have four daughters. I have two sons. My eight-year-old daughter, she comes rushing in, just barging in. It's Crowley's Granite. It's Crowley's Granite. Crowley's Granite's on the phone. And we're like, "What, what are you? What are you talking about? What do you mean Crowley's Granite? She interrupted just, you know, and she's got my other daughter's cell phone in her hand. And I'm like, Crowley's Granite? Crowley's Granite is the countertop shop that I sold a year and a half ago. Oh my God, that doesn't make sense. And why do, you have, why do you have our other daughter's phone? Well, what it was was our other daughter, she has for the last year and a half, when she was 16, she actually took over the accounting for Fabricator's Friend. She does all of the purchasing, all of the shipping, and all the accounting for that little business. On the side, it takes maybe 10 hours a week total to run that company, if you can believe that. And so what's really interesting, she has just used her cell phone at times. It was a buyer from one of our very large customers who had called asking about a purchase order. Phone was sitting on the island in the kitchen. Our eight-year-old daughter saw her phone ringing and thought, "Uh uh-oh, I better answer that. So she picks it up and answers it. Hello, this is her name. And uh, the lady's like, "Uh," so anyway, this lady, this purchasing manager for this large company is now hearing this conversation of my eight-year-old daughter running into our room. It's Crowley's Granite. It's Crowley's Granite. Well, actually, it's not Crowley's Granite. It's Granite Resource Group, fabricatorsfriend.com. That is the brand. That is the name of the product line. The corporation is the Granite Resource Group. So all of our vendors... All of our manufacturers know us as Granite Resource Group. That's where the invoices come. That's where the checks come from. That's where the purchase orders come from, et cetera, et cetera. So this lady had called wanting to talk to our daughter, who handles all the purchasing and all the accounting. She had a question about a purchase order for the Granite Resource Group. Our youngest, our younger daughters thought it was Crowley's Granite. Anyway, so then I take the phone, because my other daughter is nowhere to be found, apparently. And she was actually outside doing chores, feeding the whore, the. Feeding the animals, and uh, I'm like, "Oh, this is Aaron." and The lady's just cracking up on the phone. You'd think that that would be embarrassing. You'd think that we would be ashamed to to let anybody know that. Oh gosh, you know, not only is my eight year old daughter answering the phone, um, it's my other daughter is is she's 17 now, does the books for this company, but I, not embarrassed at all. To me, that is the the realization of a dream. The fact that we're having that that to me is the is the manifestation of the picture I had in my mind nearly 15 years ago when I read that book, the generational, here I am with in my own home doing business with a legit big distributor of our product line, and, uh, and, the, and, the, and, and my kids are being exposed to business. Now, here's what's really cool about my 16-year-old daughter. Well, she's 17 now. Most people wouldn't know this, but at age 16, she starts in this position and she trained under another bookkeeper, began to learn QuickBooks, began to learn accounting, began to learn how to interact. And so so now it's just an everyday regular occurrence, nothing out of the ordinary. She is on the phone with the buyers, the purchasing managers, the shipping managers of the largest stone tooling distributors in the industry. Routinely, not a big deal. And she does the accounting, so she is working with our bookkeeper uh, in our other company, basically as a contract, I guess, uh, instructor, if you will. And so she, not, I don't think she necessarily is concluding that she wants to go into accounting, but she is being exposed at age sixteen, age seventeen. She has this golden opportunity to operate in a in a real world professional setting that, in this day and age, would be virtually impossible for her to be exposed to. Just because of, you know how it is. And so to me, that is one of the, the most amazing benefits that I am so thankful for in this side hustle because of the way the business is developed, because the way the business is structured, the type of company that it is, and because we had this desire to involve our kids in this process. They're happy that we're not touching the product anymore because they used to be – the, the adhesives that would be used and the materials and the package – they would always like turn their nose up. That's probably where the frowns came. I was like, "Ah, oh, these things stink!" And I used to joke, "No, that's the smell of money." <laughs> that was the comic. That that was the conversation we'd always have. Oh, we got to package aprons. We got to count aprons again. Yep. Oh, these things stink. No, 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 kids. That right there is the smell of money. Oh my gosh, it just it shiver up my spine because those memories are so sweet. But we don't touch the product anymore. Now all we do is broker the countertops and one of my daughters has the privilege at age 16, age 17 of being introduced to really, I mean, the highest level of professional business in the stone industry in the capacity that she's at Basically, working in our company. And so that's the fifth reason the opportunity to work with your family within the side hustle. <clears throat> so, fellow fabricator, let me ask you a question. What problems have you already solved? in your stone shop. That may be the first most, it may not be obvious, but it may be the best place for you to start. Does it make sense for you to start a side hustle in your countertop shop to make running that countertop shop a little less hard? Imagine, let's just assume. I believe, like many of those other fabricators that I mentioned, I believe many of you have solved problems. You may not even realize that you solved them. And you may not realize the significance of those solutions, and you may not realize that other fabricators may be willing to pay you for the privilege of using that solution in their business. So that's my encouragement to you. Number one, what problems have you already solved? Number two, here's how you, you, you basically tee up the next episode, the best side hustle in the world. Again, for those of us who are into, you know, go measure the job, pick up the slab, cut the slab, fab the slab install the slab go back and do the repair work on the slab and then get paid for those of us who are that who that that's our life that's our experience in business don't fall into the trap of buying the sewing machine and and manufacturing the aprons yourself don't give in to that temptation I would recommend number one what problems have you solved if you solved one think about it like this. Who else has already solved that problem and is applying that technology in another industry for another customer base? Can you go find a solution that already exists for that problem in your business that somebody else has already figured out? They've already done all the engineering. They've already done all the problem solving, all the testing, all the trials they have taken upon themselves. Don't, you know, reinvent the wheel. If somebody else has already got that, Go find that solution that somebody else has already developed or is already manufacturing and determine whether or not you can apply that to the problem you've solved in your business and then you repackage it and send it to the rest of the industry, make it available to the rest of the industry. So fellow fabricator, five reasons why a side hustle makes sense. Again, I'm not telling you what you should do. Just sharing some information and some thoughts so that you can consider ways that will make running your countertop business less hard. So make sure you tune into the next episode of the Fab Lab podcast. Like I said, this is the big one, the best side hustle in the world. But more importantly than that, fellow fabricator, I would encourage you, I'm just asking, point blank, would you go to the show notes and would you consider making a donation to Rancho Santa Marta? Go to that link in the show notes and make a donation so that you can fund the project, the construction project that I will be leading with this group of 44 people going down to Mexico next month. Pay attention to the instructions in the show notes, because if you make that donation, you need to include the group that's coming down. Otherwise, they won't know to associate those dollars to our trip. And so just look in the show notes. Would you, would you consider that fellow fabricator? If you would, I would be, I would be grateful. And um, so anyway, thanks for tuning into this episode. Look forward to the next one. It's going to be awesome. Until then, happy fabricating.